0: Hi everyone, so uh, our passage today is taken from John chapter 4 verse 31 to 38 and Emily's going to be reading that for us in a moment but I've also asked Emily to read uh, from John chapter 4 verse 1 to 42, so the passage from last week as well, uh, mostly because it just gives us a bit more of an understanding of the context of our passage today. So over to Emily.
1: Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be first thirsty again but everyone but whoever drinks the water i give them will never thirst indeed is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus then, Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world.
0: Hi everyone. Uh, we've been working our way through the uh, book of John, uh, John's account of the life of Jesus. Uh, and last week, Andy took us through uh, the start of John chapter 4, where Jesus spoke with a woman from Samaria. And we saw how the woman's life was completely changed by her dialogue with Jesus. How he explained to her who he was, the Messiah, the chosen one, sent by God to save people from from sin and the punishment of sin. And we read how she went back to her town and brought others to come and see and talk with Jesus, and how they too believed in him. Now, our passage today is sandwiched in between this conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman And her subsequent bringing of those from the town to meet him, which is why I asked Emily to read the the whole passage that Andy spoke on last week, as well as our passage today, so we can be reminded of its context. Now, may I encourage you uh, at this point that if you missed last week to have a watch uh, of it at some point uh, after today's service, as it may clarify for you some of the bits of the message today, Uh, and you can do that on our YouTube channel where you'll find all of our previous uh, online services. But Emily read for us in verse 27 of chapter 4. We read that while Jesus had been speaking with the woman, his disciples had returned from buying food. And the woman went to the town, told the people in the town about Jesus and her story. And it says that some started uh, making their way towards him. And then we have this word in verse 31, meanwhile. Meanwhile, Jesus, as we've read, takes an opportunity while he's alone with his disciples to teach them something. And so this morning, that's where we're going to focus on. But notice as we go through how his teaching to them is so connected to what's happening with the woman of Samaria and how she brings the people from the town to meet with Jesus. So while the woman of Samaria is away, the disciples, it seems, get down to what they think is the real priority right now, food. Uh, And Jesus, at this point, is still likely tired, he's still thirsty, and he would be hungry, which is why the disciples had gone off uh, to buy food in verse 8 of chapter 4. And he and his disciples had been uh, journeying north uh, from Jerusalem to Galilee, as we learned last week uh, in the story. And it had been a long walk so far, it had been about five or six hours walking, possibly. So now they've returned with the food and the woman of Samaria has temporarily gone back to the town, the disciples are are urging Jesus to have some lunch, have some food. But as so often happens when people meet with Jesus in the Gospel of John, his response is quite confusing to them. Have a look at what he says in verse 32. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the following verse shows the disciples a confusion as they say to each other, could someone have brought him food? They're really confused. They've just arrived with food and Jesus says uh, he has his own food. They, they assume uh, someone else has brought him food. And as Jesus often does with his disciples, he, he's stretching their thinking. He's revealing something about himself. Throughout our story in the book of John so far, we've seen people encounter Jesus and misunderstand his words and his teachings particularly when it comes to thinking about physical things, uh, rather than the non-physical or spiritual things. We've seen it three times in the book of John. In John chapter 2, Jesus had spoken about the temple, referring to his body. But the Jewish leaders who he was speaking to thought he was referring to the physical temple building. And then in John chapter 3, we had a man called Nicodemus speaking with Jesus, and they were speaking about entering the kingdom of God. And Jesus said we needed to be born again spiritually to be able to do that, to be born from above. But Nicodemus struggled with this, thinking of, a, of birth in just a physical sense. And then last week at the start of John chapter 4, we saw Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman. And when they talked about water, Jesus spoke of the water he gives, the the spiritual water that truly satisfies our souls. But the woman was thinking of physical water that that satisfies our bodies. And so here too, the disciples uh, are struggling with this concept they're they're thinking of physical rather than spiritual. Physical food uh, is good for us. It provides sustenance. But when Jesus says here that he has food to eat that they didn't know about, he was speaking of spiritual sustenance, not physical sustenance. Now Jesus, he saw their confusion. And so he says this in verse 34, my food said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This statement describes to us the total clarity in Jesus mind as to why he came to earth and why he'd been sent by God, the father. And in it, he is identifying for his disciples, his priority and his purpose. Now, physical food is essential for our bodies. It provides nutrients which provide energy for activity, for growth and the functions of our bodies, such as breathing and keeping warm. It sustains us and it keeps us. And in a sense, Jesus here in this statement is saying that what drives him, what gives him energy and sustenance is doing the work that his father had given him to do. It wasn't that Jesus was saying, I don't need food at all. He was and is a man. And in the Gospels, it often speaks of his physical hunger. But here he's outlining for his disciples his priorities. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Obedience to God the Father, the one who sent the Son, the one who sent Jesus, was a task far more satisfying than any physical food or physical sustenance. Now, we've we've already read uh, a bit about the work the Father had given the Son to do. Or the mission that Jesus had been had been sent to accomplish. Uh, In John chapter three, uh, Jesus explains something of this mission where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus, God's son, his work was to save humanity from itself, from the problem that we all have, the the sin in our lives, the things we all get wrong, so that we not perish because of our sin, but be saved from it and its punishment by believing in Jesus and turning our life away from sin and giving it to him. And as we do that, Jesus gives us new life, eternal life. That's what Jesus was sent to do. And the finishing of this work was, was centred around Jesus' death. Just before his death uh, on the cross, Jesus praised this to God the Father in John chapter 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. His work was to give eternal life to those who believe and follow Him. Which is why just before Jesus gave up his life on the cross, he cried out in John chapter 19 verse 30. He cried out, it is finished. By by his death, the work, the mission the father had given the son to do was completed. And the proof of that was that Jesus rose again, defeating death with the power now to give eternal life to those who believe in him. Jesus was solely committed to this work that his father had given him to do. Which is why he said, my food, the thing that sustains me above all, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, in some way, Jesus was alluding to a verse written in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy some 1400 years earlier. Uh, It was said by one of uh, Israel's great leaders, by Moses, uh, to the people of Israel as they were preparing to enter the promised land. And it says this, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Jesus personified this verse like no one else in history. Humans need bread, need physical food. But more than that, we need God and we need his word. We need physical sustenance and spiritual sustenance brought only by God. And spiritual nourishment should take precedence over our physical sustenance. This work that Jesus was given to, to do, to reveal the Father, to give eternal life, to reveal in people their need of him, in need of a saviour, Jesus was doing this work in his encounter with the Samaritan woman at the start of the chapter, in the story that we went through with Andy last week. Revealing to her who he is, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one sent by God to save, the only one who brings true satisfaction and purpose to life. This was part of the work the Father had given him to do. And this work that he had just done in the Samaritan woman's life, and as we saw last week, in the crowd who were about to meet him in verse 39 to 42, this work sustained him far more than any physical food could. His exchange with with sinners, with broken, messed up people like the Samaritan woman and like us today was of much greater sustenance and more satisfying than any food the disciples could offer him. That's That's the drive that Jesus had. That's the drive Jesus had for his mission and the love and the passion he had and has today for all those who are lost people. That's what drove him. Meeting with people and revealing himself to them. So that they might know God and live for him. And Jesus is still doing this today. He is still seeking to meet with people. If you don't know Jesus personally in your life today, be assured he knows you and he wants to meet with you. And he wants, to, uh, wants you to know him personally and intimately. He wants you to understand why he came and that he died for you. If you want to know Jesus, to learn more about him, get in contact with us. Come and meet the one, uh, as it says in Galatians chapter 2, who loved you and gave himself for you on the cross. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there's lessons here in Jesus' words too. Jesus identified here his priorities in his life on earth. Uh, And we also should reflect on our own priorities, uh, on, on, on the things that... On the things and the priorities of life that that take up our time. We should ask ourselves as his followers what are our priorities? What are the things that drive us and sustain us in our life? It's important to realise here that we too can get caught up in this difficulty of focusing uh, much on the physical things in life and not in the deeper spiritual things that really matter. I'm not talking necessarily about food here. We, we all need food, but more on the priorities and the busyness of our physical lives that can so often take our eyes away from Jesus and the things that really matter, the spiritual or the eternal things, as Jesus sometimes puts it, the things that actually will last. Andy spoke to us last week about the desire we, have, uh, we are, as humans have, the things that, that we fill our lives with to try and satisfy ourselves physical and material things like status, or relationships, or occupations, or job security, or possessions, but actually when we, when we get these things we realise that they don't provide true satisfaction, they don't provide completion. Uh, there's a great quote by, by uh, the actor Jim, Jim Carey where he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous uh, and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer." Satisfaction uh, and purpose in life can only be found in knowing the one who made you, in knowing Jesus Christ. But even we as Christians who claim to follow Jesus, we can sometimes, by our actions, show that our satisfaction is not solely in him. We, are, uh, we as Christians can sometimes live uh, our lives for the here and now. Thinking we can find satisfaction and sustenance, uh, th- uh, and sustenance in things, in earthly things and, and in, in material ways. Focusing our resources and our energies into our earthly life right now rather than investing in serving God and others. Jesus on another occasion said this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 to 21. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures uh, on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The striving to secure one's life via wealth and possessions is just as much an issue for followers of Jesus today as it is for everyone else. Our total security is found in Jesus. All of our desires and satisfaction is met in him. Money is good. Just like food is good, but the love of money and the pursuit of it and putting it before everything else is not how we as Christians should live. We are to live for the eternal things, trusting that God will provide all of our needs, not for storing up material treasure here and now. What sustained Jesus was completing his mission. That was his priority. Jesus has now given us his church a mission too, and it should be our priority. And do our actions show that it's our priority? Are we seeking to be like Jesus, not living and relying on the physical things of life, but on the words and the mission of God? Are we living our lives too much for the physical, for the here and the now, or are we putting our energy and our time and our resources into the only things that truly matter and last, the things that we do for Jesus? What drives us every day? Is it the thought of another day to serve and represent Jesus in, in his world? Or are we energized by, by serving others? Are, are, are we using the gifts God has given us to bless and serve his church and his world? Are we focusing on our own physical maintenance rather than the maintenance of God's kingdom? Are we putting our energy into the mission that Jesus has called us into? Are we giving time to reading God's word, written word to us, the, the Bible? Are we giving time to that daily? Where are priorities placed in our life? Are we living on the physical bread alone, on bread alone? Or are we sustaining ourselves on the word of God and are energised by our service for him in his world? Jesus, uh, in our passage, uh, goes on to teach... Uh, describing again his work uh, and his mission, but also the work and the mission of his disciples, talking about it in agricultural terms. Let's have another look at uh, verse 35 to verse 36. He says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Now, Jesus here is likely referring to a local uh, village farming proverb, uh, one that talks of the last of the seed being sown before four months of waiting until harvest time in the spring. What Jesus is doing here is he's using an illustration to to explain something about his work and, and the work he's given to his disciples. He's again using something physical to teach about something spiritual. What Jesus is explaining to his disciples is that by he revealing himself or by his disciples telling others about him, what we would say is telling the gospel, the good news about Jesus, as he and and as they do this, they are in a sense planting spiritual seeds. So the conversation that Jesus had had with the Samaritan woman that we read, that Emily read for us earlier in last week's passage was like planting grain or, or planting seed. But why is Jesus making a connection to this village uh, proverb about the timing of harvest and and having to wait four months? Well, as I was thinking about this, his words here reminded me of what's happened throughout uh, throughout lockdown at our home here. where My wife, Emily, has become borderline uh, obsessed uh, with with gardening. She even now buys the Gardener's World magazine. Here's, Here's the evidence of that. Gardener's World magazine. And yes, she is only 23. She is only 23 years old. But she, she's planted uh, radish uh, and broad beans and leeks and potatoes, to name a few, as well as a wide variety of, of plants and flowers. And actually, we've both really enjoyed watching and waiting for them to grow. Uh, some vegetables only take several weeks and until, until they're ready and some take much longer. Uh, this week, Emily Harms did some, some potatoes and some broad beans. Uh, and there should be a picture now up on the screen of them. Uh, That's them there. And then we had them in this next picture with our meal, and and they were were really lovely, actually. I was very, very impressed. But the seeds that we planted, the seeds were planted in March, and we've had to wait some four months or so before they are ready to be harvested. And what Jesus is saying here. Is that telling the gospel, or how he puts it here, sowing spiritual seed, it's not like a normal grain or seed where you have to wait four months, or in some cases even longer, before it could be collected and harvested. This seed of the gospel, of revealing who Jesus is, this spiritual seed would bring a spiritual harvest almost immediately. In fact, the sowing and the reaping would even coincide. And Jesus is saying that saying this teaching to link it with what we looked at last week in his encounter with the Samaritan woman. As he revealed himself to her, he planted a seed, if you like. She, she has then gone and told others, and we then read in verse 39 to 42, which Emily read for us, she's bringing them to him, she's bringing people to him. Verse 30 says that after hearing the woman's testimony, her story about her encounter with Jesus, the people of the town, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then in verse 39 to 42, we read this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of, the, uh, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we, now, we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So these Samaritans are, in a sense, the spiritual harvest being reaped by the the spiritual seed planted in the life of the Samaritan woman. That's why Jesus speaks to his disciples of the sower and the reaper being glad together, because here the sowing and the reaping have almost coincided. While in normal farming practice, the seed would be sown, the farmer would then wait for four months or so, and then the food could be harvested and would be reaped and then harvested. Here, the sowing and the reaping would be appearing almost together. Just from Jesus' conversation with that woman from Samaria and her subsequent telling of her story to the people in that town, many came to believe in Jesus. Jesus had planted the spiritual seed or the grain, that crop of eternal life, that, the life that only Jesus offers all those who follow him. That crop being harvested is seen here in all of these Samaritans who came to meet and believe in Jesus too. And so Jesus is trying to get his disciples to open their eyes, to to see the fields that are ready for harvest. They're just about to see it, this harvest. As the Samaritans are, are approaching, they're just about to see it. And Jesus wants them to see the opportunities for telling others about himself, to see that people are ready to receive him and ready to believe in him. Even these Samaritans, who, as Andy was, was speaking to us about last week, told us the Jews had no dealings with them. Even they had received Jesus. And telling others about Jesus today is still the duty of his disciples. It's the duty of the church. I still remember our series in Regent from a couple of years ago. We were made for a mission. I found the notes um, just this week. We were made for a mission. That mission is to tell others about Jesus. And so we need to ask the question, are our eyes open to the opportunities of telling others about Jesus? Are we looking at the fields? Are we seeking to plant the seed of the gospel in people's lives? If we are Christians today, not all of us are evangelists, but all of us know Jesus. Not all of us are evangelists, but all of us know Jesus. And therefore, we can be used by him to reveal him to others around us, our neighbours, our families, our work colleagues, our course mates. Are we praying for those we know who don't have a relationship with Jesus? Are, and in our prayers, are we asking for God to give us opportunities and for when those opportunities come to have courage to speak and to share? Uh, As Francis Chan says in his great book, Multiply, we were made to make disciples because disciples make disciples. And what about our story? Stories about how we met Jesus, how we've walked with him in our lives. The Samaritan woman's testimony was likely so powerful because they knew who she was and could see the change Jesus had made in her life. Stories are powerful. They make connections and people identify with real life events. There's a marvellous uh, quote by a man whose name I'm definitely going to mispronounce. He, he was called uh, Eric Ir- Irvus Mugabe. Uh, and he, he was a survivor, or he is a survivor, of the 1994 Rwandan genocide, which, which claimed the lives of, of a million people in just a hundred days. Uh, and he was 16 at the time, and he hid in a cypress tree, uh, cypress tree for 15 days to survive without any food or water. And he now tells this story across the world. And there's a great quote in his book about the power of testimonies. And it actually refers to our passage uh, today as well. This was the quote. The Gospels are full of testimonies of God's power. From eyewitnesses who saw Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead. When the blind man received sight, he went and told others. When the Samaritan woman received living water from Jesus, she went back to tell what happened to her. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says, we overcome the evil one by the word of our testimony. When the orphans tell, they experience God's power at work in them. And when others hear, their faith is strengthened. When we gather to share our stories, I know the devil runs out the door. When the smallest, weakest orphan stands up to attest to the goodness of God. If you're a Christian today, you have a story to tell of the goodness of God. You have examples in your life that you can share with others. Let's pray for opportunities. Let us be prepared to tell our stories. And so finally, as we close, let let me just close with with a comment on the last words of, of our passage. Jesus says in verse 37, Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. There is much that can be uh, explored concerning what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. Those that he says that have, that have done the hard work for the disciples are likely the prophets that have gone on before the disciples, ending with, with the character that we've already looked at in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist, that the last in the succession of the Old Testament prophets who, who had prepared the way for Jesus to come. It may even refer to Jesus himself, who, as God the Son, as the Word made flesh, in his life and in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension back to heaven, he has prepared the way for his church to go and harvest this, this crop of eternal life which, which he alone brings. And in a sense, the disciples will reap the benefits of Jesus' labour and the labour of those who have gone on before them. The disciples are, are building on the work that God has done before them through his servants, the prophets, and through his son Jesus. And the disciples are about to see this spiritual reaping in a sense of a harvest as the Samaritans are arriving and as they come to believe in Jesus. And a lesson we can draw from these final statements from Jesus are that Christian mission is is never a solitary effort. It's, It's never separated from God. God has already gone and done the hard work for us. He asks us to simply go and tell the message of Jesus. Jesus, as I've said, has completed the work God gave him to do. But just before he returned to heaven, he said these words to his to his followers in Matthew chapter 28. He said, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded to you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' work of salvation, of saving, is completed. And we have the duty of proclaiming the message, of telling our story of how we've met with Jesus. There's also a sense here of our partnership with God and and with each other other as, as his church. One sows and another reaps. Let's remember that we do this together. Let's value each other. We partner together with God to make Jesus known in people's lives. We all need each other with our different gifts and our different abilities that make up the body of the church. Paul, a follower of Jesus, writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's a lovely phrase. In verse 9, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. If you're a Christian this morning, that's where your identity is. Working with God to make Jesus known and usher in his kingdom. So let's be people whose eyes are open, looking at the field, seeking to be a worker, reaping the harvest. And let's be people who are sustained by the word and by the mission of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you equip us for your service. And so we lay ourselves before you as your children, as your church. And Father, We ask for boldness and for courage to be used, to to seek out those who are looking for you. Father, help us to, to be equipped by your spirit. Help us to trust that you've gone ahead of us. Lord, you will help us in this mission that you've given us. May we trust in you. May we take your hand and walk with you into a world that is in so much need to hear the good news of your son our Savior, the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.